Son of a slave and a bondsman, born into Egyptian oppression, fight imperial oppression, bring a blessing, teach a lesson, and get the Nile bleeding for the people he is leading. The Bible's liberator did something greater, beat the slave trader, defeated the Jew hater. He was a chain breaker, vindicator, Egypt slayer. See you later. And he overcame his self doubts as a good communicator. And every day while slaves were building pyramids and beat to the ground, he looked around, saw babies drowned a tortured sound. Got alert in the desert, saw a bush with a bright flame. God called his name, changed the game, took his aim, and Moses never was the same. Then an overseer struck, a slave down on his luck, hit him hard enough to kill him. Moses said, oh, flip. He shook him to the left, then he shook him to the right, you know, but no one else could see just who this badass son of Israel would turn out to be. Well, Egyptians started saying, oi, this Hebrew is insane. Man, he found a burning bush, it even burns in pouring rain. Turns his staff into a snake, has he got a magic brain? The Bible is gonna proclaim, what's your name? Moshe Rabbeinu ben Amram I'm Moses and my daddy is Amram 613 commandments are gonna come Like kosher precision and your circumcision When he was born his mother tucked him away So he would stay completely hidden from the fray As soldiers marched night and day She took reeds over basket and cried and sat and prayed then took him to the river and she pushed the guy away Pulled out of the Nile with a smile, the princess brought him up in style All the while the Jews exile made Moses a Judeophile Heard a voice saying, Moses, you gotta speak to the Pharaoh Take your brother Aaron to the king, be a Jewish superhero There would have been nothing left to say about a lesser prophet He would have rotted, but he plotted, plans historic, catastrophic Started fighting, unwriting all the wrongs that just went right Watching Hebrew slaves in agony and then he saw the light Preparing plagues of butt frogs lice while beasts in sex, disease, and hell. Unleashing locust darkness, firstborn deaths to make them wail. See him now promising promises about the promised land. Go into the Midian desert and you'll be a brand new man. In Midian, you will be a new man. In Midian, you'll get the master plan to take the people and raise them high as you lift those tablets on Mount Sinai. Moses and your bro are on The sea is parting as you walk through With a song of Sister Miriam Go do what you've got to do Whoa, Moses and your bro are on You'll be eating manna and quail The Bible will tell your tale You know that you cannot fail Liberate the kids of Israel 
The sea is in the distance now. Watch our brother parted. The Egyptians they can't sell us when regretting it started. If you're gonna whip our backs, if you're gonna make us plead, we'll say Godspeed. It's too late to plead in our hour of need. You try to mark us slaves, well you can mark us freed. Mark us freed. Mark us freed. Six thirty mitzvahs gonna come from above. Mazel tov to the land of Israel. Here we come. You try to mark us slaves, well you can mark us freed. Mark us freed. Mark us freed. Six thirty mitzvahs gonna come from above. Mazel tov to the land of Israel. Here we come. The blood of the lamb. Here, here. Are you saved? <laughs> Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. The blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. Yeshua's blood of everlasting covenant. We've been going through all week the bread, the bread, the bread, which is the word, the word, the word made flesh. And tying it all together is uh, quite the uh, quite the interesting task. If you've never had to do it, you don't really get it. And, you know, obviously all these supposed scholars that are going to try to stand up throughout this weekend, they're going to put forth a goddess of Ishtar to be a wrapping over the top of all of the Hebrew and Aramaic truth with a bunch of paganism. So, you know, going to Bible college is not a real impressive uh, thing to say, I went to Bible college, if Bible college is teaching you pagan traditions to celebrate pagan holy days rather than the Kadesh Moedim or the set-apart feasts that Abba Yah has commanded and says is an everlasting covenant. I mean, interestingly, it says it is an everlasting covenant when it speaks of the feasts. Likewise, when it speaks of the Shabbat or the Sabbaths that are each week on the day that you are to rest, the day that there is to be no work, the day that is to be dedicated to him, to Yahweh, it says this is an everlasting covenant. 
So the blood of the everlasting covenant has to be the blood of Yeshua. And it has to, we have to know that the blood of Yeshua is the blood of the word because he is the word that's made flesh. And that blood starts out in the garden already with that first sacrifice and then goes on to ongoing sacrifices that we can see uh, all throughout each covenant. So it's not an old and a new covenant. We go through each of the seven covenants and we find the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood everywhere along the way. So we know that a barukata is upon this everlasting covenant. This is something that the favor of Abiya pours out into very clearly. And he is the great shepherd of our sheep. We are the sheep. So he is the one that we are to uh, respect and appreciate because he's taking care of us. He's making sure that the wolves are not going to come into our camp and start killing us. So this is why we have to have this blood applied to everything because it is what's going to keep us in him. It's going to keep us protected. It's going to keep us shielded. It's going to keep us guarded. It's going to keep us alive forever. So we need to understand very assuredly that the connection that we see that goes back to putting on, as we spoke of yesterday and throughout the week, putting on his rightness or his robe of righteousness, as was prophesied by Yeshayahu or Isaiah uh, in the uh, in the 61st chapter, it really lays out in detail. Yeshayahu probably was the most detailed prophet about 700 years before any of it ever happened. 700 years earlier, he articulated it in extreme detail. Now, what's really the caveat to the whole story that's so beautiful is the fact that he not only prophesied it, but the very people who would be the murderers of our Messiah, or should we say their own Messiah, they had these scriptures. But my understanding is there was a, a cover-up. So how can we not really get what's going on in politics today with all the conspiracies, the deep state, cover-ups, everything else? How can we not know that that's so real and can and does happen when we see that there was a cover-up within the Jewish Orthodox over all these years to make sure that no one was really being taught or told about certain scriptures to kind of connect the dots and say, this guy 2,000 years ago 
whom the Christians are calling Jesus, we know he is Yeshua. These guys suppressed that information, just like there was information before this last election. The media suppressed that information so no one would know about Hunter Biden, his laptop, you know, and all these kinds of things as a way of hiding information that would open up the understanding of the people so they could really think intelligently and wisely and to be able to cast their vote correctly. In this case, the vote of a Hebrew person is being thwarted because they don't have the right or ability to really decide on Yeshua and whether he really came 2,000 years ago if they're not being encouraged to look at Yeshayahu or Isaiah 61 real, real closely. Because what's so interesting about this prophet is that he talked about Yeshua's birth. He talked about his life. He talked about his uh, uh, miracles. He talked about his persecution. I mean, down to every last detail about him being whipped and beaten with the cat of nine tails. Surely he has borne our grief. Surely he has carried our sorrows. In fact, we sang it in school. It was a song that we sang. Surely, surely he has borne our griefs. <laughs> I can't even sing that big high tenor anymore now that I'm a big baritone bass uh, rock star here. Uh, you know, but that was, you know, in the Messiah's Chorus, right? Or I think it's called Handel, uh, Handel's Messiah's Chorus chorus right and and they go through you know hallelujah 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 i mean a masterpiece of that time period of incredible music uh and a lot of what they were singing was directly out of yeshayahu or isaiah that's where they got it from, you know, and, uh, you know, pretty much you can know that this is Yeshua speaking through and using Isaiah's mouth to proclaim himself coming. And, you know, when the Hebrew people are acknowledging this, when they look at it and they get honest and you use this to be able to convert. A Jewish Orthodox person, it usually is kind of the kind of the deal closer. It's it's kind of what makes the sale. All right, that oh wow, it's all right here. Our prophet spoke of this guy that was here. That everybody tells us exactly what happened historically, and it's exactly what he said would happen. That must be the guy. And then the conviction comes upon their hearts. So, you know, in, in Yeshayahu 61, 
you know, the Ruach of Yahweh is upon them. And that's, you know, that's all covered. Why? Because he's anointed us, right? Messiah means the anointed one, so they say. Um, and, and that's why they say Christ is the same thing. But realistically, it's it's uh, a lot deeper than that, the Mashiach or, or the Messiah, because there's only one. And when we take the Christ, we're talking about many who call themselves Christ's. So there's a big difference between a Christ and a Mashiach. There's only one Mashiach. And this is why it's so sacred to the Hebrew people. Okay. Um, the connection to the anointed uh, priests is to Exodus 28, 41 of the oil would be applied even as the Ruach HaKodesh is applied in their lives. So the oil on the head is the representation there uh, to Exodus 28, 41. So again, more prophetic. Um, you know, Christians under the new covenant, they are believing that they have an anointing in what they call this new covenant because of 1 John 2.20. Um, and this is, is because it's coming from the Kadesh one, the one that's set apart, the one that's anointed. And this idea of being filled with the Barukata Ruach HaKodesh is what they're, what they're referring to. So, you know, it goes through the ministry of the Messiah, okay, very clearly in 61. Then it goes into what Yah's people will do. Then it'll go through what Yah's people uh, will set apart to serve Yahweh. Then it goes through Yah's people rejoicing in Yah's great Barukata Hallelujah. Then it goes through this everlasting covenant and the heart that's behind it. And, uh, you know, we have to really see the heart of Yahweh in this and really understand what is Yahweh really trying to say? What's going on? You know, um, the covenant brings a prominent Barukata. The descendants that it's talking about, I mean, it's all in here, but this is the everlasting covenant. This is the blood of Yeshua. Blood of everlasting covenant. And, you know, we can make the connection in this uh, to the Ephesians 2.10. And this is what the main point of what we're going to make today. We'll start at 8 and then wrap it up in 10 and, and then really give you an insight here to really look at this whole 
idea of him being blood and bread and that we are to eat the body and the blood. This is the connection that I'm, I'm making here today. Never really put it together this way, but knowing that the word has got the blood all over it because he is the word. And this blood is like all, I mean, just everywhere on his body after the beating that he had to take. When they came at him with those cat of nine tails and started ripping that skin off, believe me, there wasn't probably a spot on his body that wasn't covered in blood. And that's how we need to get. We need to get so intimate with him that his blood is all over us like we just took a bath in it because that is again our shield that is uh our breastplate that is our helmet of salvation everything that we armor up on the robe of righteousness everything that we are putting on ourselves which is the word which is the yeshua in the flesh the word made flesh this is all covered and smothered in blood. It is just absolutely insane that anyone would fight what I'm saying in this message. Listen to this. It says, for by favor you are saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift. It is the gift of Yahweh. Not of works that anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua unto good works, which Elohim before prepared that we should walk in them. So we have to realize that we're walking in him because the good works that he was is what we are to become if we really are in him. There's just no other way of getting around it. You have to be able to, to see that you are to be like him. And the only way that that can really happen is you've got to be able to, uh, you've got to be able to put all of him on, which is his robe of righteousness. It's his behavior. It's his image. It's who he was. You've got to be able to walk in that. And unless you're willing to really look at it from that perspective, it's really it's really a challenge. See, what we're really saying in this, from the 8th to the 10th verse, is this is summing up Yah's work of each of our individual reconciliation. Okay? Because we really got to get an understanding that none of it happens 
unless we go through all of the verses before it. So let's start with one. Ephesians 2, 1. And he was quickened. You also were dead because of your sins and trespasses, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the will of the ruler of the authority of the air, the Ruach, which is active in the sons, I'm sorry, the spirit which is active in the sons of disobedience. So that's the evil spirit. In those very deeds in which you also were corrupted from the very beginning through the lusts of our flesh, doing the things willed of the flesh and of the, of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest. But Elohim, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Messiah, by whose grace we are saved, and raised us up together and seated us together in heaven through Messiah Yeshua, that in the ages to come he might demonstrate the exceeding great riches of his Hanan, or his favor and kindness towards us in Messiah Yeshua. For by favor we are saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves, it is a gift of Yahweh. Not of works that not anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Messiah Yeshua unto good works, which Elohim before prepared that we should walk in them. So I hope you can see in this how clear it is that this gift opens up the door when we're given the gift for us to be able to really be a believer. But to be a believer, we've got to do these works because we are his workmanship. And the things that are going to come out of it are going to be the things created in Messiah Yeshua that's unto these good works. And he, Elohim, prepared that we're going to walk in them. So our whole life is for this. This is what our life is supposed to be about. Unfortunately, we have a world that is constantly bidding for our time, constantly biting for our time, constantly trying to distract us and get us to do other things, to focus on other things, to make other things be more important. So there's a distraction principle that we are fighting constantly and it's very very challenging when we're in that distraction principle when we're seeing his distractions coming at us the enemies from the world constantly telling us do this do that go here go there those are all things to to take us away from him so that we're not flowing in him so that we're not walking in him so that we're not living in his ways and we miss him we end up missing him because we get so caught up in the world so caught up in everything going on around us everything's more important than him and that's why we're confronted that 
you know, I got a problem with you guys. You're, you know, you forgot about your first love. And that's what so many people who start in this faith is what they do. So we want to make it real clear that if you are going to look at this feast, look at why this is about bread, knowing that he is the bread of life, which we've been speaking about throughout this feast. He is the bread of life. The feast of unleavened bread. This feast, when they were doing it in the Exodus with Moshe, and they were laying it out, they were feasting and celebrating a Savior, Yeshua, before they even knew it. Because they were not thinking of Yeshua as being the bread of life, because there was no new covenant or Yeshuic covenant that was even written yet. So they weren't able to understand the words that were going to come, uh, let's just say approximately 5,000 years later, or I'm sorry, 3,000 years later, and now 5,000 years approximately. They didn't understand this back then. Okay, it, it was it was several thousand years earlier. They're getting taught to have a feast of unleavened bread, that this is important. But what they were literally doing was they were excited about in that feast about their salvation. Think about it. They were being saved from Pharaoh by Yahweh Yeshua, Yahweh Yeshua, right, together. The two of them were there in the air orchestrating this all as one with Ruach. So it was the parting of the Red Sea that saved them. So what parted the Red Sea and what, what, what was the manifestation of that miracle? You know, that's Yahweh Yeshua. That's, that's, that's who that was. That was the Savior, right? The, the whole army of Pharaoh was wiped out in that water when it came crashing down on top of him. He defeated Pharaoh's army with just one, boom, quick little miracle, just like that, gone. So it's, it's amazing. It's amazing because those that are brought up in Jewish Orthodox have no idea, probable, I, I would have to really dig to see if they ever got this, any of the rabbis. I would think some of the converted ones that are now considered messianics, probably, because most of your messianics are pretty Jewish Orthodox yet. They, they may even speak in tongues. Not too often, though. But they may. And then, of course, they're believing of the old and the new or the Yeshuic and the Mosheic and you know the other covenants and you know it's 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 a bunch of mixing of doctrine and I think there's a lot of confusion over there. All right. We're taking all the confusion out. We're telling you that the reason he said 
on the night that Yeshua was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. And he says, this is done in remembrance of me. This was the fulfillment of all the years of practice that was going on in a Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is the fulfillment of the guy who actually was that bread. He says, it's my body, which is broken. Well, if he is the living word or the word made flesh, it is his body that's broken. It's logical, right? I mean, you cannot, you cannot separate or divide this message. This message brings the oneness of it all that the same thing that Yeshua was teaching with Yahweh to Mosheya is the same thing that he physically came as a human being. He robed himself miraculously into human flesh to be able to speak directly to Kepha and Andrew and Yohanan and, and, and all of the rest of the 12, including Mary, his mother, and even Mary, the prostitute, the Magdalene, right? So uh, who is no longer a prostitute because, you know, he delivered her from that evil. Hallelujah. So this guy was bringing salvation right before their very eyes, and he was bringing the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Yeshua brought the Feast of Unleavened Bread to a reality point when he did that, to say, I am that. Now, what's super cool is, you know, everybody's now saying, you know, that this would be the day that he was killed, which, <laughs> which in reality, you know, um, then if he rose on the third day, then all these people that are going to talk about the Sunday Ishtar uh, worship service that they're going to have in two days, if Good Friday was what they say that it is in Christianity, anybody who knows simple math would understand then the third day would be on moon day, <laughs> not Sunday. <laughs> so these pagans, man, they, they are like so busted in being wrong. They are just so obviously doctrinally liars to try to mix themselves into our faith. And it's such an insult to our intelligence if we just think a little bit. Don't just drink the Kool-Aid and buy the story. Their story is a lie. The truth is in the scriptures. You can understand this all so much better. Gotta be a bear
We. Yeah.